Good morning, church. Welcome to our house. If it's your first time with us, let me say again how glad uh, that we are, that you are here with us today. It's going to be a great day, and we are in the middle of this series uh, that we're calling Lead Like Jesus. And we're, we're doing this because, well, for, for several reasons. Number one, we, we believe that Jesus was, is the greatest leader the world has ever known. And whether you believe in Jesus, whether you think he is who he says he is or not, I think we can probably all agree on that fact. Jesus is simply the greatest leader the world has ever known. No one has had the same impact on the world over the last 2,000 years as Jesus has. And even today, you can go on Amazon and buy books about the leadership of Jesus because people have realized that whether you believe he was, he is who he says he was or not, what, what you have to learn from him in terms of his leadership is, is vast. There's so much that Jesus has taught us about leadership. And as a church, as people who believe Jesus is who he says he is, we, we really, in following Jesus, we want to become more like him. And part of becoming like him is, is trying to figure out how do we, trying to learn how do we lead like Jesus. If we want to become like Jesus, then, then there's a sense in which we have to learn to lead like Jesus, to lead whatever it is we lead because we're all leaders of something. So how do we lead the way Jesus led? But we're also doing this series because we're in a season in our church of praying, of asking God to raise up some more godly leaders for our church, for our house. Uh, you, may, you may not know, we have eight men who currently serve as shepherds uh, for our faith family here at Riverside. Eight incredible men who serve as shepherds. And, and, and we call them shepherds because that's really how the biblical description of leadership. All throughout Scripture, you have this image of godly leadership, and it's always through the lens of a shepherd and his sheep. Of a shepherd and his sheep. This is what leadership looks like through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of God's Word. And so what we're doing in this series is we're, we're trying to raise up some of these ideas that we learn from God's Word. Some of these things that we can learn from the life and the leadership of Jesus as we pray and discern and ask God to raise up some, some more shepherds, some more godly men to serve and to love and to lead this church. So at the end of our time this morning, I want to go ahead and tell you about this. Uh, our shepherds uh, and their wives will be around the room, and they're going to have uh, these, these little, uh, what do you call this? Booklet? Document? They'll, they'll have this. <laughs> and, and inside, there's some information here. You can see this. And on the inside, there's a simple card where you can, as an individual, as families, be talking about, be praying about who are some, who are some men within our, within our church, within our family who we believe God uh, could raise up uh, to help love and to lead and to serve this church as a shepherd, as an elder for our church. Over the next, uh, counting today, the next two weeks, next two Sundays, you'll have a chance. There'll be a box in the foyer. There'll be a box on this side going towards the gym where you can just fold this up, this card up, and put it in a box, and then we'll take these. And our, and our shepherds will be praying over these names as we try to walk through this, this spiritual process of discernment uh, to see who God is raising up to help serve as a shepherd for our church. I remember several years ago being uh, on a mission trip in Mexico. Some of you have done things like this. Uh, every night we would gather together. Every day was full of serving people, whether we were building a house for someone, whether we were taking food to people who were hungry, whether we were playing with children. Whatever it is we were doing, we would all come to the end of the day and be just exhausted and tired, but at the same time so full uh, because of what had happened during the day. And we would gather in the living room of this small house, and we would worship and reflect on the day. And on the very last night, we gathered in that living room. And in the middle of the room, uh, there was a, a basin, a bowl, kind of like this. Uh, there was a, a pitcher of water, 
and there was a towel. And it was in the middle of the room of the circle, and I asked our, our, our people, I said, tonight, what I want us to do, how I want us to end our time of serving this week together is I want us to go around the room and just one by one, what I want to invite you to do is to name someone that you saw this week serve like Jesus. And as you tell us how you saw them serve like Jesus this week, what I would like for you to do is to take the, the water and the basin and the towel, and I would like for you to wash their feet as you tell us how you saw them serve like Jesus. That may sound like a pretty bizarre thing to do for a lot of people. For a lot of people, the idea of washing someone else's feet just sounds like, why would you do that? You know, I don't even like washing my own feet. Why would I wash somebody else's feet? Some of you, you don't like feet. So this whole idea just sounds like, ugh, why would I do that? Especially in a world, the, the world that we live in, the culture we live in, that says, you know what? Here's what you need to do. You need to do all you can to get to the top. You, you need to do all you can to get to the top of the class, to, to climb the corporate ladder, to be the president of your club. You need to do all you can to, to get as much as you can for yourself and for your family. So whatever you do, do, do whatever you can do. Work as hard as you can to get to the top, to be elevated as high as you can, to have as much influence, as much power, as much control as you can get for yourself and even for your family to provide for your family. I mean, we even make it sound good. You know, do all you can to get as high as you can, to gain as much as you can so that you can, you can do good for those around you. That's part of our motivation, and so it sounds good to do that. But let's get to the top because we believe that this is true. The power begins and ends at the top. And so a lot of us, we've spent a lot of time, a lot of our days, a lot of our years trying to do this, to climb the ladder, to, to get to the top, to get to that place where we have those accolades and those achievements and that power and that control and that ability to have people do things for us. Because in the world we live in, that's how power works. In the world we live in, that's how control works. That's how authority works. And you know that this is true. If you're, if you're like me, I've even done this. I'll just admit this and repent of this this morning. We've even done this in the church. We've tried to leverage our leadership and our influence inside these walls to make things the way we want them to be, haven't we? We have, because this is what we're taught. This is how the world works. This is how power works. This is how authority works. And we've done this in different ways, in different places, in different spaces. We've, we've leveraged our ability, our leadership, our talents, and we've leveraged it to make things the way that we want them to be. But you know how this works out. Whenever people leverage their leadership for their own personal power, their own personal gain, this always happens. We see it all around us. People that leverage their own power and their own influence and their own ability to make things the way they want them to be. When things don't go their way, what do they do? What do those leaders do? They complain. Those are the complainers among us. Those are the, the leaders who try to leverage their leadership and their power and their authority and their influence to make things they want them to be. When they don't go their way, you hear about it because they complain about it. Leaders who leverage their own power and their own ability to make things the way they want them to be. What, what happens? What do you hear them say? They say things like, hey, look what I did. Or they say things like, hey, do what I say. Because they want you to listen to them. They want to leverage their power and their influence and their authority to get people around them to do what they say, to make things how they want them to be. That's what leaders do because we believe that this is true. That leadership begins and ends at the top. And this is actually 
the exact temptation, the same lie that Satan tried to use on Jesus. I don't know if you remember the story. If you have your Bibles, you can open this up. We're going to actually look through three different passages pretty quickly today, but we're going to start in Luke 4. Luke was a Greek. He was an early follower of Jesus, and he wrote an account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And Luke tells us that Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry, he was baptized by cousin John, and then the Holy Spirit immediately leads Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Jesus spends 40 days praying and fasting, drawing close to God and and drawing away from the things of the world. And at the end of that time, the devil appears and Satan tempts him. And he says, hey, there's a pile of rocks. Why don't you turn that into into a pile of fresh baked bread? I don't know if you've ever fasted, but for 40 days, you've got to be pretty hungry. And I'm sure this was a real temptation for Jesus. Hey, you have the power to do this. You can take that pile of rocks and you can make it into a pile of freshly baked bread. Jesus doesn't do it. And what Luke says happened next, I think is really interesting. Because what happens next is is Luke says that Satan takes Jesus up. And then in verse 6, he says this, Satan says this. He takes him up to a high place and Satan says, I will give you, talking to Jesus, the glory of these kingdoms and, this word, authority over them, the devil said. Because they are mine to give to anyone I please. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I don't know how all this works out, but in this moment, in history, in this moment of time, Satan has authority over the kingdoms of the world. And Satan takes Jesus to a high place, and he shows Jesus the kingdoms of the world, and he says, Jesus, you can skip the cross. Jesus, I'll transfer the authority and power I have over to you. He's taken him to a high place, shown him all of this, offered him power and authority over the kingdoms of the world, offers him to skip over all the suffering that's ahead, and Jesus says no. And then Satan does it again. The very next temptation, now Satan takes him to the highest point of the temple. With each temptation, he goes higher and higher and higher. And he says, Jesus, just throw yourself down from the high point of the temple. And what will happen, Scripture knows this is true, it will testify to it, angels won't let you fall. They'll catch you. And when they catch you, you will be revealed in a moment that you are God's Messiah. And all of Israel will worship you, and you you can begin the revolt. You can begin to rise up as their leader. They will galvanize around you. Again, you can skip the suffering ahead. You can skip the cross ahead. You will have all the power, all the authority. You'll have it. Your leadership will be galvanized in this moment as these Jews witness angels descend from heaven to catch you before you hit the ground. And they will know you are God's Messiah. And again, Jesus says no. I think it's because Jesus, a lot of reasons, no doubt. I think one of the reasons is Jesus knew something that Satan didn't know. The true power isn't power over. True power is power under. That true power doesn't ascend. It doesn't look to go higher and higher. True power 
decent. And so you fast forward to the end of the life of Jesus. And you find Jesus in an upper room with his disciples. He's moments away from being arrested. He's moments away from being falsely accused, put through a sham of a trial, and then murdered on a cross. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, and it is the Passover meal. This is the time that that every good Jew remembers and celebrates and eats this meal to remember the day when God did save them, deliver them from death. Uh, there was a, uh, they, they were to take the blood of a lamb and put it, paint it over the doorposts of their house. And when the angel came through Egypt that night, every firstborn would die except for those that had the blood of the lamb across the doorposts of their home. So that night there was much wailing and much weeping all over Egypt, but not in the home of the Israelites because God had passed over their houses because they were marked by the blood of the lamb. And now Jesus sits in a Passover meal with his disciples. And the cross is right around the next quarter. And I want you to hear what John writes about this moment in John 13. John writes in verse 3 that Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he he had come from God and he would return from God. Now again, I don't pretend to know how all this works. But Jesus now in this moment knows that God has given him all authority. Satan had offered it to him three years before, but Jesus didn't take it. Instead, he decided to go the next three years and to spend his time teaching and loving and leading and showing and demonstrating what the kingdom of God looked like to the people of God. And now because Jesus has been faithful to God, God has now given, the Father has given Jesus all authority. And Jesus knows what's around the next corner. So what does Jesus do with all the authority in the world? What does Jesus do now that he's the most powerful person in the room? Well, it's been a long day. And they're about to eat the Passover meal. And they're reclining at the table. And the problem is, There's not a servant there to wash the feet of the disciples, of of the, the people there to eat before they eat. And that may sound strange to you because you normally don't say, hey kids, go wash your feet before supper. You say, go wash your hands. So I know that's different. In this day and time, they didn't have nice shoes. They had sandals. They were walking dirty, dusty roads filled with trash and dirt and animal, you know what. And at the end of the day, their feet were not pleasant and you needed to wash your feet before you could eat so you could enjoy what you were going to eat and normally this was a dirty job this was literally the worst job to do and whoever was the lowest servant on the totem pole it was their job to do but there was no servant in the room any of the disciples could have gotten up from the table and walked around and gotten the towel and gotten the bowl and gotten the water and washed the feet of the others but none of them did that you know why because they had spent the last three years debating arguing over who among them was the greatest So Jesus looked around the room and realized, oh, it's time to eat. We need to wash these guys' feet. So John says, Jesus got up from the table, took off his outer garment, picked up a towel, and he went around and he began to wash the feet of his disciples. And you may be thinking, that sounds pretty strange. Jesus, 
who at this moment in history had all power, all authority. He was at the top. What did he do with that power? What did he do with that authority? He picked up a towel and he began to wash the feet of his disciples. Well, it gets around to, to Simon Peter, and Peter, you know, he's like, Jesus, pause. What are you doing? You can't wash my feet. This, this cannot happen. This is not the way the world works. This is not the way this works, Jesus. You can't wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you've got no part of me. And Peter's like, well, that's not good either. So wash my hands, wash my head, give me, wash me all over. And Jesus, you can just see him laughing at this point, like, Peter, you don't need a bath. You know, you just need to wash your feet so we can eat. Can we get this? Can, I just want to, like, food's getting cold, Peter. Let, let me wash your feet. So Peter lets him wash his feet. He washes the feet of the other disciples. He washed the feet of Peter who would, that night, deny he even knew him three times. But before you think that this was easy, he washed the feet of Judas who would literally betray him into the hands of those who would murder him. He washed the feet of the other nine who, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, are nowhere to be found. As far as we know, there was only one of those men in the room at that moment that would be at the foot of the cross. And his name was John. And Jesus looked down from that cross and he saw John and he saw his mom. And he said, John, will you take care of my mom? John said, I got her. And then Jesus breathed his last. Jesus washed their feet, knowing their betrayal, knowing their denial, knowing they would abandon him. With all authority and all power, Jesus washed their feet. And this may seem like the strangest thing He could have ever done. And in a world where Caesar was king, in a world where empire ruled, in a world where you had to rise to the top to have those around you and those under you who could serve you, it was strange. But Jesus wasn't your ordinary leader. Jesus had already told him, he had said this out loud, you know who I am? I am a good shepherd. And I will lay down my life for my sheep. You know what a shepherd does when he sees that his sheep need something? Whatever it is, he uses the power that he has to help his sheep. So when Jesus, the good shepherd, is at the table and he looks around, he's like, hey, no one's washing anybody's feet yet. Let me get up and do that. That's not strange if you're a shepherd. Shepherds don't look at their sheep and wait for them to serve him. Shepherds don't look at their sheep and and, and get frustrated because they aren't doing enough. They don't, com- they don't complain when their shepherd don't, 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 you know, just come around them and rally around them and make things perfect for them because that would be silly. That's not what shepherds do. Shepherds use whatever power they have to put up under their sheep and to serve them, to care for them, to love them, to heal them, to, to, to do whatever they can to, 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 to lead them and to serve them. That, that's what shepherds do. So for a shepherd to wash the feet of his disciples, that wasn't strange. That's just what a shepherd would do. So the question I want to ask you this morning is simply this question. How are you using whatever power God has given you to serve those around you? 
we're going to talk about and praying about God raising up shepherds for our church, but but if we're going to become like Jesus, it means that we all need to learn to lead like Jesus, and part of that is learning how to take whatever power God has given you and using that to put it up under others to serve those around you. And so the question is, how, how do you do that? Are you using the power that God has given you? Because God is giving all of us power in different ways. Are you using the, the power that God has given you to serve yourself? Are you using the power that God has given you to, to, to elevate yourself and to get all you can and to rise as high as you can, to do whatever you can, to gain as much as you can? Or do you look for ways to take the power that God has given you to serve those around you? Here's what I believe. I believe Peter never, ever forgot what Jesus did that day. Fast forward the tape again. And we see Peter. Now he's older. Jesus has already gone back to the Father. And, and before he did that, Jesus looked Peter in the eyes and he told him three times, Peter, I need you to feed my sheep. So it's no surprise to find what Peter wrote at the end of this letter that he wrote to the churches in Asia Minor, what is now modern-day Turkey. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, Peter said this, And now I want to give you a word to you who are elders in the churches. I tell you what, let me pause right there, and I want to invite one of our shepherds, Mike Odell. Mike, if you wouldn't mind, I want to invite you to come up on stage. Like I said before, we've got eight incredible men who serve as shepherds for our church, and, and Mike is one of those men, and I could have asked any of those men to do this, but I called Mike to, to come and help me. Thank you. Mike, I want to I I read this, these words of Peter, sort of over you as one of our shepherds. Peter said, now a word to you who are elders in the churches. Peter says this, I too am an elder. Isn't that amazing? Peter in his old age is now a shepherd of God's church. No surprise to find Peter as, a, as an elder, as a shepherd in God's church, knowing that one of the last things Jesus said to Peter was, hey, feed my sheep. Now at this point in his life, Peter is, is, is an elder. He's a shepherd of God's church. And Peter says, I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a, fe- as a fellow elder, I appeal to you. And this is, this is Peter's words to the elders, Mike. He said, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them. There's our word again. Lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd, Jesus, appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Peter says, I want you to remember the example of Jesus, the great shepherd, that this is who we are called to be as shepherds in God's church, that, that, that the elders in God's church, the shepherds in God's church, are called to lead the church, love the church, and serve the church. And then Peter says this, and I want you to hear this, church, in verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger, the rest of us, must accept the authority of the elders. All of you, and he says this, and if you have your Bibles, your app, underline this, highlight this. He says, dress yourselves in humility. You know what the actual Greek word is for this, dress yourselves in humility? Literally, he says, tie a towel around your waist. Where did Peter get that idea? I'll give you one, I'll give you one guess. 
Peter never, ever forgot what Jesus did in that room. And he says, shepherds of God's church, church, this is how you are to relate to one another. Tie a towel around your waist. Dress yourselves in humility. What I want to ask Mike to do this morning is to just demonstrate this. I asked Mike if he would be willing, and he agreed enthusiastically to take off his outer garment, his coat, to take up a towel, and to wash the feet of one of our members. So I want to invite Mayetta Morgan to the stage. Some of you know Mayetta. Mayetta, I'm going to let you sit down here if you don't mind. We've had Mayetta before, and I asked Mayetta specifically for a few reasons. Mayetta, you're here at our church. You came to us a year ago, two years ago? Almost two years ago. Time flies when we're having fun. But, you, but you're here from another country. And, and I think that's important for this moment because Peter is writing to a church in, in, in Asia Minor in Turkey, and there are people coming from different nations together to form a Christian community. And I think that's a picture of what the church is supposed to be. It's not a group of people who all look the same from the same town that speak the same language. And you and I have talked about this. The beautiful thing about God's family, about God's church, is that it's very diverse in every way. And so you're here, but you're here from another country. But you also, you look different than Mike. You have a different color skin. And in our city, in our country, in our world, where we're reminded almost daily that racism is very real. And I know you've lived that. We've talked about that. Again, Peter's writing to a church of people who are coming from different backgrounds, skin colors, nationalities, languages, tribes. And it's to that group, to that church, that he says, hey, this is how you are to relate to one another, to love one another. And not only is your skin different, and not only are you from a different country, but you're also a different gender. You're female. Mike is certainly not. (laughs) And Peter, again, is writing to a church that still is separated in their church, in their culture, by, by gender. And, and we've talked about this in, in, in this house before, that, that your value isn't based on what's on the front of that card. Your, your, value is, your value is you are a person of immeasurable worth, and it doesn't matter the color, the nation, the language, the tribe, the background, whatever, the gender. None of that matters. We're all the same in Jesus Christ. We all belong to the family of God. Satan wants to point at the differences, but God says, no, every person is a person of immeasurable worth. And so what I've asked Mike to do is a symbol of love, unity, humility. If you'll allow him, I would like for Mike to take up the towel and to wash your feet this morning. As Mike washes the feet of Mayetta, church, I'd like for you to hear the rest of these words from Peter. Peter says, God opposes the proud, but God gives grace 
the humble. So Peter says, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, God will lift you up in honor. Church, I believe this is a picture of not only what shepherds look like, but this morning, this is a picture of what the church looks like. That this is the way that we relate to one another. That we love each other and that we're willing to serve each other and that we don't use our power over each other, but that we put our power up under each other to serve each other because power does not begin and end at the top. According to Jesus, power doesn't ascend. Power descends. And what I want to encourage you to do is to do what Mike is doing in a very symbolic way this morning, is to use whatever power God has given to you to serve those around you. Use whatever power God has given you to serve those around you. Mike, thank you. Mayetta, thank you. You realize this isn't normal. You realize, according to the power structures of the world, this doesn't happen. But in the family of God, this is how life works. That you and I are willing to take up the towel, tie it around our waist, and to use whatever power God has given us to serve those around us. So really, just two questions this morning, and then we're done. First, how can you dress yourself in humility this week? What I want you to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, is I want you to go into the world, whatever world you go into, with eyes wide open, and I want you to look around and see who it is that has a need, and then ask the question, how can I meet that need? How can I use whatever power God has given me to serve those around me? And then I do want to ask you to be praying about this question. Who are the leaders among us who serve with a towel in hand? These are the leaders. These are the shepherds we're looking for. And don't get me wrong, many of you live this way. Many of you serve this way. But as we pray about God raising up more men to serve as shepherds for our church, this is the question. This is the greatest question. Who are the leaders among us who serve with a towel in hand? Because we're called to dress ourselves in humility. Church, if you would, let's stand together. We're not on a mission trip this week, but we do have a mission this week. To go into the world around us and to serve one another in love and in humility. If you're going to lead like Jesus, it starts with learning how to serve like Jesus. And this is my prayer for you and for this church, that this could be who we are. This is how we live. This is how we do life in this house, and it's different. And we know we're called to live different. This is one of those ways. We're called to radical humility, to incredible servant-heartedness, to love and to lead through loving and serving those around us. May we be this kind of church. Let's sing.